Thanks, man. That was a good. That was a good joke I just made there too. Uh, that's an excellent song. We're very blessed to have uh, our worship team, uh, not just the musical talent, but the, but the attention to the content so that your hearts are prepared to hear what God has to say in his word. Um, you know, this, this series that we're doing, you can uh, bring up the first slide. This series that we're doing, I've called it Go Into the Land for a very specific reason. Obviously, in the very beginning, God says to Joshua, go into the land. So that works. But another reason we've used this title is because today... Grace Life is being positioned to go into this land in our neighborhood in very um, powerful ways. And between what we just finished up in the book of Revelation and now here with Joshua, it really, it really seems clear to me that God is um, molding our church and, and really fine-tuning our church for a specific call to go into the land around us, take the message of hope and redemption and love and peace and reconciliation. To those in our community. And Grace Life is a unique church that is very different, but it has to be to do the different call that we have. This week, the title of our message is Stories About God, and I will tell you, Grace Life has a lot of them. I'm going to start off in an unusual way this week. Normally, I just go right into an introduction, but I'm going to read you a verse from Psalms. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Have you ever heard what some might call a God story? Maybe it was a story about some kind of incredible tale of God's sovereign intervention in someone you know in their life. Perhaps it was a story of God orchestrating extraordinary circumstances that preserved someone's life against all odds. Have you heard a story like that? Maybe it's a story about just unbelievable change and transformation in someone's life when someone who used to be hostile to the gospel, unexpectedly, overnight, begins to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Maybe it's a story about someone who remained faithful to Jesus in the face of incredible persecution or pressure or circumstances. Maybe, maybe it was a story about how, through the mercy of God, someone overcame incredible earthly obstacles... Emotional, physical, medical, financial, in such a way that the way they endured those things surprises you. You know, one of the things that makes Grace Life so effective is this. It has been blessed with an abundance of incredibly powerful, inspiring, and engaging God stories. As your pastor, I actually have an advantage over all the rest of you. I've been privileged to hear or witness firsthand many of these stories. And I got to tell you, I cherish each one of them. And believe me, over time, as you begin as a member of this Grace Life family, as you begin to learn the details of some of these stories, your faith, I'm going to just tell you, your faith will be strengthened by them. 
as mine has. So today's sermon has two goals. You have two jobs. First one is I want to help you see the power in your own redemption story, because I think sometimes we discount it. And because I want you to focus on it, you'll be able to tell other people about it more often. The second thing I want to do is I want to try to inspire you and encourage you to take the time necessary to discover and learn the stories of your brothers and sisters around you and to celebrate what God is doing in their life and then to proclaim their stories too. With that in mind, let's read our passage today. It's a longer one. It's 14 verses, but we're going to go through it. So Joshua sent two men secretly from uh, from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman hid the two men, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men left. They went out. I do not know where the men went, but pursue them quickly, for you will perhaps overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax she had laid in order on the roof. The king's men pursued after them to swallow uh, to the shallow streams of the Jordan. That's a long way away in case you don't realize that. And the gate was shut behind the pursuers. And before the spies lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, listen to this. I know the Lord has given you the land and the fear of you has fallen upon us. All the inhabitants of the land melt away before you, for we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you as you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two Amorite kings beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. Just promise me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and the sisters and all who belong to them. Deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you great story. Historically speaking, I want to tell you a little bit about how news traveled in those days. I don't think there was this network, but maybe the ANN, the ancient news network, maybe it was there, I don't know. <clears throat> so in the ancient world, significant news like the ones we just talked about, the Red Sea and and the defeat of the two Amorite kings, significant news primarily proliferated through individuals that were journeying across one region to the other. It could have been just regular travelers, or it could have been traders, or it could have been spies, or scouts, or, or messengers. Anyone like that who could relay first-hand or second-hand accounts of things that happened that were significant. 
And the more extraordinary the news, the more extraordinary the story, the greater, obviously, the greater degree of skepticism each one of those stories would receive until it could somehow, you know, be verified. The first test to whether or not you can believe a story is how many number of people, different people from different places are carrying the news and, and how close are their accounts. So like if one person says, well, I saw this happen and no one else says it, well, you know, this guy's lying. But if like two people, ten people, a thousand people from a bunch of different places who don't know each other are carrying the same message and a lot of the details are similar, you would start to realize, okay, this might have happened. So for something to be considered more than a fairy tale or a rumor, it would require a multitude of different types of reporters. This is likely how the people living in Canaan, and specifically Jericho here, learned about the three, listen to me, what we just saw, they were the three greatest military upsets in human history to that point. The remarkable news that Pharaoh's army, which was the greatest empire in the world at the time, the greatest military of all time, his army was drowned at the Red Sea. And then the other story that like the second and third strongest armies in the world, the Amorite kings on the other side of the Jordan, they were destroyed, defeated, mind you, by a nation of nomadic former slaves. That would qualify as an extraordinary news event that needs to be verified. Wait, what? The former slaves of Egypt defeated the Amorite kings? And then 40 years earlier, this is the same nation whose God buried and drowned Pharaoh's army? So when the people of Canaan heard about all that God was doing for Israel, and they probably also heard stories about the manna and the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and probably heard about Ten Commandments or something like that, they likely said, you know what, this could be a threat for us down the road. So 40 years earlier with the Red Sea, they probably heard reports and after a couple of years, I'm certain this would have been a common thing to do in the ancient world. They would have sent scouts. Go find out, did Egypt really get defeated? Did Pharaoh's army, the greatest army in the world, really get wiped out by an ocean? Go find out. Because it would need to be verified. Trusted scouts and spies from all different types of kings, from all different types of cities and countries, would report back to their kings firsthand verification. Or they would expose whatever story happened as a fraud. But this is particularly scary news. So after Pharaoh released Israel, remember the story from slavery? He says, fine, I'm tired of the plagues, just go already. He suddenly changes his mind and says, no, I really like that slave labor. I'm going to go get them back. And he pursues them with the greatest army in the history of the world. The most powerful military force ever pursues Israel all the way to the shores of the Red Sea. And now the Jews are trapped. They're trapped by an ocean and this incredible military force behind them. But then God parts the Red Sea and Israel escapes. And once the last Israelite crossed the other sea, the ocean closed in and deluged and drowned Pharaoh's army. This story, hearing about it for verification, would have terrified other nations. What happened? What? That's impossible. Oceans don't split like that. So they certainly would have sent scouts, since probably a thousand people told them about it. <clears throat> they would have sent scouts to Egypt to verify. It would have taken two or three years for them to go and come back. 
So now they know, okay, looks like that probably happened. That's not good. But then there's 40 years that elapses. And right before Moses dies, they hear another story that would have terrified the nations. Israel's near the edge of the promised land. They're, they're, they're close to being to the point where they're going to cross in. It's a couple years before Moses dies. And all they want to do is they come to the place where these two Amorite kings are and they send messengers to the kings. All we want to do is pass through your land to the Jordan and cross over into Canaan. Will you give us permission? And those two renowned Amorite kings, Sihon and Og, they refuse to give permission. And instead, not only do they not give permission, they send their massive armies to destroy the nation of Israel. But God says to Israel and Moses, don't worry. When they come against you, you're going to rout them. You're going to utterly destroy them in two separate battles. And that's exactly what happens. So news of these verifiable, stunning victories, combined with the Red Sea 40 years earlier, those things together with some of the other stories they're hearing about this tribe of former slaves, those would be very troubling to people that want to have their nation secure. Now Israel has this reputation of formidable military power, courtesy of their God, and word is spreading. Don't mess with the army of God. The people of Jericho know that these stories, as well as the claims of Israel's God, what he was doing for them and all their land, they know these stories. They've heard them. So Jericho sends its own spies. And I'm sure that they saw... Oh, my goodness. Remember, we talked about this last week. Looks like Israel's packing up. They're preparing to cross the Jordan. They're going to be here soon. We better send spies to find out what's going on. And Rahab says, everyone's hearts have melted with fear. See, they've been tracking Joshua's spies as well, and they know what's going on. So Joshua's spies are in serious danger. And that's the history of our passage today. Let's look at the theology. Let's talk about what God has done. The first thing I want you to see is this passage is full of stories about God's sovereignties. Those unbelievable stories about the Red Sea and the defeat of the Amorite kings, they were made believable by God strategically because he used a multitude of credible traveling witnesses. So God's plan of redemption has always included stories about his mighty works, of what he's done. And those stories were always designed to be declared to all the nations, the Great Commission. Those stories and the people who hear them, the people who declare them, they are transformed by them. They're all part of God's sovereign plan to call and save his chosen people. The story of Rahab, think about this now. She's a marginalized, prostitute, Gentile woman with no status in society at all. It just shows how well these stories had become known, correct? The powerful accounts of what God did at the Red Sea and in the battles against the Amorites. Those stories are what God used to save her. She didn't get saved in a theology class. Or through a podcast about the Torah. She was saved by stories. For example, let's talk about this strange data point. Let's address the elephant in the room, shall we? That a Canaanite prostitute is where the Jewish spies turn for help. How does that happen? How did they find her? 
What were they doing in her house? Hello? I mean, there's no way they knew who she was beforehand. This itself is an incredible sovereignty of God's story. How he works all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose and his plan of redemption. Isn't it awesome, by the way, when God fulfills his plan through unexpected people in the most unlikely places? When God saves us, he doesn't care about your past. Do you know why he doesn't care about your past? Why? (laughs) Because he is rewriting your story. God prepared Rahab for this good work that he prepared for her beforehand. And because she was given the gift of faith, she tripped over it. Ephesians 2. Rahab's faith also set her apart from everyone else in her city. Unlike the rest of them who were frightened by the stories of God's mighty work, she put her trust in them. And history, combined with faith, gives her wisdom and courage to make the rational choice, the reasonable choice, to abandon the way of life that had been existing in Jericho for probably 900 years. And by faith, she hears these stories and she's able to see the only rational response is to no longer live by sight, but now live by faith. By faith, she knows Jericho, what seems to be, humanly speaking, an undefeatable fortress town with massive walls. Don't worry, we'll get to that soon. (laughs) She knows that this city's walls will be no match for the power of God. And by faith, she takes bold action that an unbeliever would never even dream or consider of taking. Her faith inspires courageous obedience, which is what we need today, is it not? Rahab was decisive, too. You notice that. She didn't stop and try to consider it. Let me think about it for a couple days. She just makes a plan, and fulfills it immediately. And all she wants in return is to be considered among the people of God. She wants to be a part of God's covenant with Abraham. She says, listen, when you take the land, just make me part of your people. And they say, no problem, you'll be with us. We will deal with you faithfully. The other, there's another story in here. I want you to see the story of promises kept. This makes Rahab's story in many respects because of who she is. It's very good, it's very good to look at it as a metaphor for us. Unlikely, marginalized Gentiles who have become fully accepted into God's covenant by faith. Rahab's a Gentile Canaanite prostitute. She is the last person most Jews would expect to be an example and an encouragement of faithfulness. But God makes Rahab an heir to the promise of Abraham, which is also, by the way, fulfilling a promise that he made to Abraham, that he said, your descendants will be a blessing to all nations. And he brings her into covenant. There's that promise that was also made to her entire family. You see that one? They too become a part of God's covenant with his people. How does this all happen? It's insane. Rahab simply heard the stories about the mighty things God has been doing in the lives of his people, and that was all she needed for faith. Rahab's redemption story in that process, this is what's really cool. Her story 
becomes just as important as the story of the Red Sea and those incredible military battles that they had won in the wilderness. And that's how the story of God's covenant with Abraham began to spread in the ancient world. It is how Abraham became a blessing to all nations. This is also, by the way, and I want you to start to put this together in your mind, do you also see the similarities to the gospel? Which fulfills and replaces God's covenant with Abraham, and that becomes the message that multitude of witnesses carry. All right, personal section. We do have stories to tell. This was the sermon preview this week. One of our most powerful tools in the church are stories of the personal miracles God has done through the gospel. These stories of what God did for Israel stirred Rahab's heart. Prepared her for a life-changing encounter. You know, God also uses our own stories. This is beautiful. God uses your stories to prepare hearts of those around us for the return of our Jesus. And because there is, there is so much power in firsthand eyewitness testimony to what God is doing in the hearts of his people. Can you see that? I remember a story of another marginalized woman in the New Testament that God used to save many unlikely people. Do you remember that? In John 4, the woman at the well, all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the... Oh, this is the wrong verse. Oh, there it is, right here. So the woman left her water and jar and went away into the town and said to the people... Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. She's got a story to tell. Can this be the Christ? Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. You see how that works? The New Testament is full of amazing transformation stories. Paul's conversion was just like that. Remember the story of Paul? He was a guy who was, his main job was killing Christians. And now all of a sudden he's preaching the gospel. And look what people say in Acts 9. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon Jesus' name? But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving Jesus was the Christ. That was an incredible story. But listen, it's not just them every story even ones you think aren't that dramatic every story of redemption is powerful firsthand good news about what god has done every one of them and when people hear them some will reject your story some people will just ignore it some people might even scoff at it, or maybe it makes them angry at you for sharing them. Who cares? You're a first-hand witness. Because then there's going to be others that God has prepared. Like Rahab and the woman at the well, they will hear and they will follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Because proclaiming the gospel 
it isn't just some theological outline that we should memorize. It's not just understanding or explaining the doctrine of faith by justification or, you know, like the Romans road. That's not primarily what the gospel is. Yes, it is the gospel, but it is so much more than that. Did you know the gospel was always designed and intended to include stories about what Jesus had done in the hearts and in the lives of his chosen people? Why do you think Jesus did all those miracles? Because the gospel is not just theology. It's personal stories. God loves to use stories about his amazing goodness. His faithfulness. His miraculous transformation of our lives. And God loves it when we spread those stories to those who have ears to hear them. Listen to me, when you tell your story, when you tell one of your brothers and sisters stories that amaze you, it makes Heavenly Dad smile every time. God never says, oh, I wish they wouldn't have told him that story of redemption. I'd rather keep that one in the closet. God never says that. He says, tell about all of them. I just love that. These stories are also what God uses to strengthen and encourage us when we are distracted or discouraged. This is why I love talking about the great things God has done in the hearts of so many of you specifically. Together as a church, the multitude of our redemption stories are an undeniable they are an undeniable verification of God's love and grace. There is nothing any skeptic or atheist or anyone can say about the undeniable, verified, firsthand, miraculous transformation that we have seen taking place in those who you're sitting next to. You can say you don't believe in God. That's fine. I know what he did here. What are you going to say about that, atheist? Hmm? I don't know any stories of atheists who were transformed into righteousness and goodness by not believing in God. Psalm 96, verse 2 and 3. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Can you also see how that is connected to the Great Commission? Do you see that? That's not by chance. That's how the scripture is written. It's all connected. So I'm just going to tell you. Talked about it a couple times. I'm just going to be specific. <clears throat> Grace Life is full of the most amazing stories about God's power of redemption and transformation and restoration. This week I had lunch with another local pastor downtown and we spent an hour. You know what we did? We just swapped stories about our people. <laughs> it was so fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, what well, about this one? Oh, yeah, well, what about this one? We were trying to top stories of redemption. I'll just tell you, if I had a list of all your names right now, if someone gave me a list, I could literally go down the list, most of them, and probably spend three or four hours talking about the powerful stories I've heard or seen about individuals. I'm amazed at what God has done in the lives of Megan. And Scotty, especially Scotty. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm amazed at what God has done in the life of Chris. The Nevels, Nancy, Greg, the guitar player, Steve Lenz, Matt and Amy Dennis, 
Nate, Linda and Arnold, Tori, Mark, Jen, Curly. Yes, there's a guy in our church named Curly. <laughs> he has no hair, Curly. I, whatever, I don't get it. He's got an amazing story of redemption. Stories of how God brought them through pain or tragedy to transformation. And how God is using them today in the lives of others. Stories about the most unlikely people that have been made into part of the best church family I've ever been in. But church, all of your personal stories of redemption, they're all powerful. The stories of your whole church family are amazing. You know what you should probably do? I'm going to kind of strongly suggest slash command this. You should probably take the time to learn them. Celebrate them and tell others about them. One way to do it is in grace groups. I'll give you an example. One of our most recent grace groups that we were doing the book, uh, the, the book on the grace life, we were blessed with stories like Patrick. Have you heard his redemption story? That was some really good news. That was amazing. Makes you laugh, makes you cry, and makes you shout. This is why, church, this is why we must talk about the mighty works of God in our lives as we go into the land that we have been promised. We can spread the good news of our redemption stories to the marginalized people because that's who we all were before Jesus. And as we go into the land, we should declare what God has done for us and what he has done for others in our church. Because there are more than stories about how God saved us. You know what we're really doing? We're proclaiming proof of the power of redemption and God's promises kept. Our stories and those of our brothers and sisters carry hope, encouragement, as God uses them to call new people to follow Jesus. And he also uses them to strengthen us when we need it the most. You now need to begin to see your own redemption story as unimaginative as you think it might be. It doesn't matter. You're wrong. It's incredible. You need to start seeing your own redemption story as part of God's grand gospel redemption narrative. Because every one of you has a God story. And it's worthy to be proclaimed because it will inspire and encourage others we ought not hesitate to share them. Jesus, the first thing we want to say is, we confess we don't talk about what you've done in our lives enough. We talk about money and sports and politics a lot. We should talk about redemption more than we do. Lord, we should get to the point when we get together in small groups we're talking about, have you heard what God did in this person's life or that person? Man, that's incredible. That really, Lord, I just pray that you would give us the discipline and the opportunity to learn these stories and to proclaim them and to share them with those who need to hear them that don't know you and maybe those that do that need to be encouraged. 
Lord, we are just amazed by what you do in our lives through the power of the gospel. The world looks at it and it doesn't seem rational. And the world will look at them and they don't want to believe that it's really true, but we know it is and it is undeniable. You transform people's hearts and lives. Lord, we ask that you would, any any obsessions or addictions that we have, that you would swap them out for an addiction for redemption stories. (laughs) That would be so cool. Lord, make us so that we cannot get enough of hearing about them and talking about them and seeking them out. When we have time, maybe our conversations to start with, what's your story? I haven't heard it yet. (laughs) Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us a story. Empower us to take it so that we can come, come in contact with those who you are calling so that they may learn to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great weekend, guys. Thank you.